they're saved or go to church that are on the wrong side of this issue scripturally. And um, they, they come up with um, scenarios and instances and circumstances where they would agree that, yes, generally it's wrong, but there are certain times that it would be okay. And we call that situational ethics. Uh, as Christians, we don't hold to that because we believe that God has an absolute moral law that is applied in every circumstance. Um, and so I want to deal with this from a biblical place today. We're going to look at a lot of Scripture. Um, I did not type these notes out, but if, if any of you are interested, I will make them available. I'll type them and have them out for you Wednesday. Uh, or if you feel like you'd like to take some notes today, that's not going to bother me at all. Uh, if we're going to, you know, we've preached motivational services, uh, uh, messages recently on the importance of teaching and standing for these truths. But if we don't know what these truths are, and we can't give a biblical account for them, uh, we don't know how to stand for them ourselves, then how are we going to ever stand for them before a world? And so we're going to take some weeks, Lord willing, and, and deal with some specific issues uh, from a biblical perspective and try to take a look at them. Let's look in Genesis chapter 19. And uh, I want us to look in verse number 1 as we begin. Now, the scenario, the, the background to what we're getting ready to read is... Uh, God has already told Abraham he's going to destroy Sodom. Of course, Lot lives in Sodom. And he sends a couple of angels down, and they come to Lot's house. So we're going to pick up reading there in verse number 1 of chapter 19. And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. That, that phrase, Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, says an awful lot about him. Um, the men of influence in the city were the ones that sat at the gate and as wicked as the city was, Lot was sitting there among them. And we find as we get into this passage that Lot had long since lost his influence. And yet he still sat in the gate. And no longer was he sitting in the gate because of his influence, but he was sitting in the gate to get acceptance, it seems, of these men. And uh, it says here that he sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them. He bowed himself with his face toward the ground. He said, Behold, now my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet. You shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him, and entered into his house. And he made them a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city... <clears throat> Even the men of Sodom compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. They called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came in unto thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. And uh, that's, that's said in a, in a way of uh, speaking of an immoral act being done to them. And, the Lot, and Lot went out to the, uh, at the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren... Do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you. And do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only let these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. Father, help us this afternoon. There is such a need. And Lord, I pray that You'd help us to grab a hold of this principle and this truth. May we, may we hold fast to it. Strengthen our ears today to receive Your Word. And I pray that You'd encourage our hearts. May they be open and receptive. And I pray that You'd help us to hunger and thirst for the knowledge of the truth of Your Word. Guide and direct as we teach on this subject. Lord, a very needful subject in the day that we live, and I pray that you'd help us to be firm and resolved in it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. These men of the city of Sodom, their wickedness and their perversion had grown so great that when these two angels came into Lot's house, their purpose was to take them and to defile them. And Lot understood what they meant when they said, we want to, get them, we want to know them, and he uh, refers to that again as he 
offers his own two daughters. As I read this passage, and every time I've ever read this, I've been heartbroken. Because, you know, the Bible refers to Lot as a just man who vexed his righteous soul from seeing and hearing the wickedness in Sodom from day to day. And a man who loved the Lord, I believe, at a time in his life and and certainly honored the Lord and tried to do what was right at a time in his life. But by the time he gets to this point, he himself has been so affected by the world around him that he was willing to allow his own daughters to go out there and for men to defile them. I look at two things that are heartbreaking in this story. The first one is the condition of the city how they reached a level of perversion that their thoughts and their intent were only evil continually. I mean, their mindset, their, their heart's desire was to do that which was wicked and ungodly, and they knew it was wrong. But the other thing that is so heartbreaking is to realize that Lot himself, rather than taking a stand and rather than uh, denying these men outright, he he feels that the, the, the remedy to the situation is to do something else that's wrong. And that is to offer his own daughters. And you, we look at this story, and, and some people would try to justify Lot's actions here by saying he was trying to save the angel's life. Isn't that worth noteworthy? No, it's not. The fact that he wanted and had a desire to save the angel's lives is noteworthy. But the fact that he felt that doing something else that's wrong in order to make something that was, in his eyes, more wrong not happen, is not something that was even an option for Lot to consider. We're living in a day where the arguments for among sometimes people who, who trust Christ as their Savior and attend churches and read their Bibles, the arguments some of them have that are, that are for the subject of abortion is, well, what if a young lady gets raped and becomes pregnant because of that? Doesn't she have a right to abort the baby? No, she doesn't. It's not a right thing to do a second thing that's even more horrendous than the first. For there was a sinful man, a vile man, who had committed the sin of raping that young lady. But in that lady's mind and in that lady's heart, to turn around and to abort something that was conceived even in such a horrible way, is compounding injury upon injury. It's causing now not a, not, a, not a wicked man of, of vain imagination, but maybe even a young lady who would never think ever of, of doing things immorally. And all of a sudden causes her to murder an innocent life. And she becomes as guilty as the defender himself in the taking of the life. I know that people would say sometimes in hearing things such as this that, that they, uh, they don't agree with it. They think that that's not fair. And I agree it's not fair, but it is right. It's something that according to Scripture, the Bible gives by way of principle and by direct command. It is not to happen. It is not to take place. We find here in Genesis that in order to solve one problem, Lot is willing to go into absolute debauchery and depravity of offering his own innocent daughters to them as the solution to the original problem. Can I tell you, that is never the answer. Never the answer. Look with me, if you will, in Romans chapter number 1. We find ourselves reaping the results of a number of generations now that have failed to uphold firmly and boldly the Word of God and the moral absolute. We, we developed a society that has taken the, the moral uh, teaching of Scripture out of every public access of society. Uh, everything that we have publicly, whether it be our, our, our municipal courts or our city halls, whether it be our, our schools, and I'll be honest with you, we're getting even to the place where we're taking the Word of God out of our churches, believe it or not. And then we wonder why every man's doing that which is right in their own eyes, and men are coming up with their own moral standards. Paul wrote about it in Romans chapter 1 as we get to verse number 28. Romans chapter 1 and verse 28, Paul writes this, even as they did not, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, 
You say, what's the problem with this whole society that we live in? It's, it's singular. It's, it's, it's found right here in verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, this is where it all began. When Christians sat idly by and said, well, we should not, we should not uh, cause or, or force people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior to have to sit and listen to the Word of God. When the truth of the matter is, the only command and commission God gave us to follow that was the greatest one as He left was that we were to take the Word of God and to declare it to the whole world, to preach it everywhere we go, to teach them in all things. And the very thing that God commissioned us to do, we gave up willingly and said, uh, we don't want to be offensive. We don't want to cause somebody to have to listen to this. And now we're reaping the results of this. Two, three, four generations out now, five generations perhaps. It begins in verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, and that is the problem, folks. The, 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 the world that we're facing, the sinful condition of the, the things that we're facing today are all because of that one thing. Not liking to retain God in their knowledge. It used to be among just those that were lost, but the sad fact of the matter is the day that we live in, even among some people that call themselves Christians, they do not like to retain God in their knowledge. They go to the polls and they vote for candidates that absolutely and openly support things that are horrendous according to Scripture and absolutely sinful. And they do so and justify themselves by saying, well, we don't think it's fair that this shouldn't be available. This idea of abortion we've just faced in our own country. People all over the country today are rioting and throwing a fit. And I want you to notice what Paul said about this, that when they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, in verse 28, notice what it says here that God did. God gave them over. A reprobate mind. We're living in a society that God is quickly giving over to a reprobate mind. To do those things that are which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness and fornication. Men have held on to this thing of abortion not because there are times where unusual and rare instances where perhaps uh, a rape takes place and someone gets pregnant, which was what they said was an original reason, although even that is ungodly. They come out and they try to start by saying, well, there needs to be a, uh, an opportunity for uh, uh, babies that we know are going to have severe mental problems or handicaps, and that became one of their arguments, although that's not acceptable in God's sight either. But these are the arguments they gave. The Bible says here that He gave them over to a reprobate mind. The truth of the matter is men wanted to be able to have fornication and be immoral without results of consequences. They used what they considered to be logical arguments to try to justify their cause, and the truth is they just wanted to enjoy their wickedness. You say, Pastor, that's harsh to say, but I want you to notice what the Bible says about it. That God considers the fact that He's given them over to a reprobate mind, and He uses this phrase in verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, uh, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents without understanding, covenant breakers without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. If that doesn't describe the day that we live in, I don't know what does. God calls it wickedness. God calls it ungodliness. He calls it unrighteousness. He speaks about the fact that even knowing that God is going to bring judgment on these things, they say we don't care if He is. We're going to be, take our pleasure in it. We're going to 
rejoice in those that take pleasure with us in it. Folks, we're living in that day. And God said that kind of a mind is a reprobate mind. That kind of a mind is an unrighteous mind. That kind of a mind is a wicked mind. We find unrest all over the world, all over the country today. And I read an article even this morning early that apparently riots and things and protests going on literally around the world because of a decision we made here in the United States of America this week. That should not even be a decision to be made. It should go without saying that it's wrong. It should even be a pro, it shouldn't even be a discussion of government or legality of it. It ought to be as a, 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 an absolute in the hearts of men saying that's just absolutely wrong. It should have never come to a legal issue. Why? Because God values the lives of every single person. I want us to look at some reasons from Scripture why abortion is wrong. Not in some instances, but in every instance. And hold on to your seats and hold on to your Bibles for a minute because we're going to move quickly. But I want us to look at these things. And, and we as God's people, we need to be reminded of these verses and these passages. We need to know these verses and passages. Because if we're ever going to take a stand on it for God, we need to be grounded and anchored not to just an opinion, not to just what my pastor preaches, we need to be able to ground our belief of this on the Word of God. It is our anchor. It is our standard. And for us to say, well, my preacher preaches this is wrong, that's not good enough. Or to say, I just don't think it's right to commit abortion, that's not good enough. We need to have an authority behind it. The only authority we have to stand on is God's Word. Let's look, if you will, in Psalm 139 for a moment. Psalm 139, and keep your Bibles handy. We're going to move quickly and yet uh, try to do uh, justice. If we don't make it through all of this this afternoon, we'll continue it next week. Look with me, if you will, in Psalm 139, and let's begin in verse number 13. The psalmist writes this, For thou hast possessed my reins. Now, of course, we understand what reins are here, and we refer to them as the things that are used to control the bit in a horse's mouth to turn it uh, the way that we, we would like to. Um, how many of you have reins? We're not speaking here of literal reins. What are we speaking of here? We're speaking of the fact, that, and as the psalmist speaks of this, uh, in verse number uh, 13, it says, For thou, speaking of God, hast possessed the thing that will be controlling of me. What is the thing that's going to be controlling me when I am born, when I am alive? The heart. In fact, he goes on to say later in, in Psalms that the Lord is the one that searcheth and trieth, and he uses this word again, the reins of the heart. Notice what he says here in verse number 13. He says, For thou hast possessed my reins, my innermost being here. Thou hast covered me, notice when he does this, in my mother's womb. There's an argument, people say, well, we need to follow science. There's no life until birth. No, I beg to differ. God is already controlling the heart of a little baby from the mother's womb. You say, I don't know if I agree with that or not. Look what he says here. Verse number 14, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully what? Made. Who made me? Mom and dad? No, mom and dad didn't make me. Notice what he says here. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are whose works? Thy works. Who made us? God made us. God formed us in the womb. You know, there's not a single child ever conceived that God did not allow the conception to take place. Whether sinfully done or righteously done, every single birth was something that God enabled. You say, well, they're bearing the consequences for their sin. Exactly, but God enabled it to happen. He makes this statement in verse number 14, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth 
right well. By the way, anybody tells you that they don't inherently know that abortion is wrong is lying to you. Because our heart, you know, the thing that God has control over from our mother's womb, it knows that something is right or wrong. It inherently knows this, because the psalmist said that my soul knoweth right well. My substance, meaning what I'm made of, what I'm my forming, was not hid from me when I was made in secret. And notice this, he's speaking here of the time in the womb, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, meaning I haven't developed yet, I'm still in that forming process. And in thy book, all my members were written, which in continuance. In other words, those, those features, my, my mental... You say, well, what about people who have birth defects? Every member of our being, before it was formed, before it was even perfect, God had already written it in the book. What about mental disabilities? God wrote it in the book. What about Down syndrome? He wrote it in the book. What about a, 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 a limbs and arms and legs that aren't formed right? God wrote it in the book before it was formed. That's what the Bible says here. Notice he says in verse 16, Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance, meaning after the fact, now as it continued to perfect, in continuance, were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. All of this was predetermined by God before it was formed. I am one, I am not a Calvinist. I believe in the free will of man. But there are some things that God determines. And the forming of a child in a womb is one of those things. There's not one thing a man can do to change how a, how a child is formed in the womb. Not a thing. God has written it down. God knew the members before they were even formed. And then as they continued to form, He formed them exactly the way He planned and desired for it to happen. These doctors that make these tests while you're still uh, pregnant and say, well, there's going to be a 98% chance that your child is going to have this or this or this, and we recommend you should go ahead and abort them. No, no. They're made that way because God wanted them that way. Well, I don't know if I can tolerate that. I don't know if I can stand that. Where's the faith in trusting God? I'm not saying it's an easy life, but I will say this. God will always give the strength to bear it and to, and to go through it. I, I know people who heard that news and were heartbroken and thought, I don't know how I'm going to do it. And when the child was born, it became one of the most precious treasures they ever had. God's people need to know what God's mind is on this subject. When men decide we're going to become gods ourselves and we're going to make the determination, we're going to make that moral choice of whether or not a baby is to be born, then we take the power out of God's hand and say we want it for ourselves. God's the one that formed that baby. In Exodus chapter 20, as God gave the Ten Commandments, He commanded them that they should not kill. They shouldn't be taking the life of someone that's innocent. Look with me, if you will, in Jeremiah chapter number 1. Again, along the same lines of what the psalmist is speaking of here in Jeremiah chapter 1, Jeremiah speaks of his own birth. Jeremiah chapter number 1, and in verse number 5, the Bible says in verse number 4, actually back up verse number 4, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, and this is, now this is what God is saying to Jer Jeremiah, he said, before I formed thee in the belly, I what? Knew thee. Was there life before birth? Oh, absolutely. Because God already knew Jeremiah. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Now, I'll say this, not every person is chosen to be a prophet. But every person has a plan that God has for their life.
Every single one of us. Every one. And for man or woman to have the arrogance to think that they know better than God, that they have the right to take a child's life, may God forgive us for those things. I'll be real frank with you. A lot of times we as Christians, because we've become so accustomed to it being legal and happening all around us on a daily basis, we don't seem to be quite as vocal as we used to be about it, do we? I remember back when the the, the whole debate was going on in the 70s and the 80s and all of these laws being made and things being changed and Christians rose up all over the country and, and would talk about these things and speak about them. But as time has gone on, we've grown silent. Jeremiah speaks of this. He says, God told me this. God spoke to me. His own words were this to me. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. God knows every single one that's been born. In fact, He, he said in my, uh, Matthew, I think it was chapter number 6, that there's not even a sparrow that He's created who... He didn't even die for the sparrows. He didn't love them so much that He gave His only Son to die for the sparrows, but He did for us. How much more love does He have for you and I? But if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without the Lord knowing it, how much more important do you think a life is, a soul is to Him? How much more worth do you think it has to Him? And for man to take the place of God and to say, I believe that I know best, I'll take the child's life is arrogant at, at best and absolutely an abomination to God at the worst. Notice in Psalm 127, if you'll go back with me again, Psalm 127, let's look in verse number 3. It'd be one thing if there was just a vague reference in Scripture to this subject, but the truth is, it is found so much in Scripture, it's almost as if God knew there was going to come a time where men were going to devalue life so much that they were going to be willing and even gleeful and even happy to shed innocent blood. When laws of abortion rights were passed, the rejoicing, the cheering, the partying in the streets was great. And now that there is a chance that these things are being repealed slowly and still not enough, but at least a step in the right direction, men are griping and crying and bewailing these things. Notice in Psalm 127, <coughs> verse number 3, the Bible says this, Lo, children are an heritage. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Children are in heritage, but they're not your heritage. Notice what it says here. They're in heritage of the Lord. They're in heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is His reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with his enemies in the gate. Children are precious. Children are something that are a reward to men. They're an heritage that God gives to us. Look with me, if you will, in Genesis chapter number 1. Genesis chapter number 1, we find the account of God forming the first man. Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 27 The Bible says, So God created man, now notice this phrase, in His own image. In the image of God created He Him, male and female created He them. There is not a child ever that has been conceived that God did not create and form in His own image. I'm not talking necessarily about physical appearance, but I'm speaking here about the, the idea that there is a, 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 a three-part being of man, the sense that there is, there is a, uh, uh, an innate desire and, uh, and something that is natural and instinctive about seeking for God that's part of man as we're born. Every single one of them are born 
Today we're not dealing with the subject of homosexuality, although we will in the near future. But those people who say that they're born that way are lying to you. It is a choice. It is a wicked and an ungodly choice. They are not born that way. You say, how do you know? Because God created them male and female. And in the image of God, He created them each to be that person. He created a male to be 100% male. He created a female to be 100% female. And those are the only two, by the way. Amen? Look with me, if you will, in Psalm 8. Psalm 8. He said, Brother Greg, this is not stuff that people like to hear about. And I understand they may not like it. But this is not my opinion. This is what the Bible says about the subject. Psalms 8, verse number 1, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Thy name in all the earth, who has set Thy glory above the heavens out of the mouth of what? Babes and sucklings hast Thou ordained strength because of Thine enemies, that Thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider Thy heavens, the work of Thy fingers, the moon and the stars which Thou hast ordained, what is man that Thou art mindful of him, and the son of man uh, that Thou visitest him? For Thou hast made him. you see that? Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and has crowned him with glory and honor. And madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, and the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. What's he speaking about here? He's speaking about men and the, the idea that God takes an interest and a love for them. And not just men, but even specifically He speaks of the fact that when they're babies even, this is where the strength comes from. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings has thou ordained strength. He's given these, these, these births, these, these, these infants that grow and become men and are, are Christ-honoring. He gives them glory and He gives them honor. This is the way God cherishes life. By the way, we wouldn't have the mass shootings we had today if young people understood God's view of the value of a life. When they're taught that man is nothing but an animal, there's no reason to have any value of life. There's no purpose in being here other than I'm just fulfilling the the, the cycle of nature. No, no, God has a distinct purpose for every single person. God has a distinct will. He's got a distinct plan for everyone that He forms. He forms. The one that He crowns with glory and honor and and, and sets His feet on the right path and says, this is what I have. I want you to do my will in this world. There's value to that. God cherishes. He values the life. I will say this, and the psalmist could not answer this question in chapter 8. I cannot answer the question why God values man the way that He does. What I can tell you is He values it above, unbelievably above all things. He's crowned Him with glory and honor and has given Him dominion over all of His creation. I don't know why He did, but He did. I know He loves us. But if you ask me why He loves us, I certainly don't know. Because, you know, we were defective, weren't we? We were sinful. We had that sinful nature in us. We certainly were rebellious to Him. I've heard people say, well, I'm going to abort a baby because there's a defect in him." Well, we were defective and God didn't abort us. I don't know if I can raise a child. They'd just be too much for me. Well, we were rebellious toward God, but He didn't give up on us. Let's look in Psalm 22, just a few pages over, verse number 9. Again, just trying to see what God's heart is with regards to the value of a life. Psalm 22, and verse number 9, But thou art he that took me out of the womb. You know how close to death both the mother and baby come at the point of birth? 
God's the one that preserves the life. For thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God. Notice this. From my mother's what? Belly. There's life before birth. God knows that person inside of the womb. That, that person, that, that little infant inside of the womb is special to God. He has specially formed them. He has plans for them. He has crowned them with glory and honor and given them dominion over His creation. He has caused them to seek for Him all before they've been born. What an amazing thing to read in Scripture, isn't it? Let's look in Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter number 6. Verse number 16. These six things that the Lord hate. By the way, these, these politicians that try to quote Scripture to justify the, the, the right for abortion laws. They're misusing Scripture. They're false teachers. They need to be denied and rebuked and rejected for it. Because they're taking Scriptures and pulling them out of the context and reading into them things and taking portions of verses. My Bible says that there are some things that God hates. This is God's opinion. In Proverbs chapter number 6 and verse 16, He says, These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto Him. I find it interesting that above all of them is a proud look, but second only to the proud look What does it say? Hands that what? Oh, I'm sorry. The blind tongue. The, the, I'm sorry. Third. Hands that what? Shed innocent blood. God hates it. We don't. We don't get the right to say, well, uh, you know, if you love, if you love people, then you need to give women the right to choose. No, no. God hates the fact that people shed innocent blood. It's one of the things he cannot stand. Yea, six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud book, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. Notice this, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. Sound like the world we live in today? Look with me in Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49. Verse number 15, God uses a picture here to express His love for us, or to the nation, specifically to the nation of Israel, but to His children in large. He says this, Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. And He uses the comparison of a mother's love for her child as His love for us. And He says, while there may be some that forget you, I'm going to love you like a mother loves her child, and I won't forget you. Mothers are designed to love their children. When I had my first daughter, the second I saw her, and she latched on, I wrote a little article the other day, first time she latched on to my finger, she wasn't grabbing my finger. She was grabbing my heart. I mean, I've never loved anything so much in all my life. And I wasn't even the mom. You know, moms have a special way of loving kids. God created them with a nurturing ability that men just don't seem to have. When Johnny falls off his bike and scrapes his knee, the dad's like, rub some dirt in it. Mama's like, oh, come here, let me make it better. Let me wash it off. Let me clean it up. Can I get you an ice pack? Can I get you a popsicle? Can I buy you a Lamborghini? Moms have a nurturing care about them. That's not part of the way God designed men. And God said, as much as a mom loves her child, as much as she would never neglect him, 
That's the way I love you. We're living in a day where men have become so depraved. Their minds have become so perverted. They've not liked to retain God in their knowledge, and because of that, God has given their minds over to being reprobate. Because of that, we find girls and women who are willing to abort a child and to go against nature itself in the nurturing, compassionate care that God puts in the heart of a mother. Look with me, if you will, in Luke 1. Luke 1. When the angel came to Mary and told her she was going to be expecting, she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth. In Luke chapter number 1, let's look in verse number 21. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. They perceived that, he, perceived that he had been seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. So it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he, he departed to his own house. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying that thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked upon me to take away my reproach among men. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, so she's been pregnant now for six months, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying, at this saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of uh, his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. And his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Boy, isn't that a great verse. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country and hastened into the city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, notice this, the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Just the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in the womb of Mary coming into the proximity, the area where John the Baptist was in the womb of his mother Elizabeth, caused John the Baptist to leap in his mother's womb. You say, when does life begin? I would say at conception, but I'll be real frank with you. God knew them before they were conceived. By the time the conception takes place, the life is there. Look with me in Matthew chapter 18. Katrina, are we okay on time? i got four, three more verses. Okay? I don't want to get them late. Matthew chapter 18. Let's look in verse number 14. Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 14. <clears throat> Even so... It is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should what? Perish. God is never, never for the death of an infant. He does not desire men to kill infants. If God ends up taking an infant in birth, that's up to Him to decide, not for man to decide. 
Children are special. Babies are special. As soon as one is conceived, it is there by God. It's formed. It's created. It's planned by God. God has given dominion and honor to him. God has, has given his love for him. And man takes what God has considered precious and a miracle and a heritage, and man has so debased it and so much sin that we've allowed these things to go on. And then we get to the place where in our country, which we are supposed to be known as a Christian country, in our country, when we finally come to our senses and realize we should not be allowing these things to happen. The vast majority of people in our country have been so long enamored by these things, misled by these things. Can we put it back to the original problem from Romans 1? They have not liked to retain God in their knowledge. And God gave them over to a reprobate mind. We now see the results of such a society. We need to stand for what's right. If we're going to do that, we better know our Bibles. We better know what God says about life, both inside and outside of the womb. We need to understand His value, His purpose, His plan. We need to understand His love for the, 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 those that He forms, those that He allows to be conceived. It's always been known from the day of early man that if a woman's womb was barren, it was because God had not allowed her to bear children. And if it was opened, it was because God had allowed her to bear children. And there was an understanding years ago that children were a result of God doing a work. Nowadays, we say it's just a, a chunk of flesh, just a bunch of cells. Science says this, science says that. Well, science is not our God. This book is. Let's look in Psalm 94. We're almost done. I've got two verses left, if you'll stay with me. Psalm 94. And by the way, I, I will say this. We've looked at a lot of Scripture today, and there's that much or more in here. We've not exhausted the subject. But it's interesting to me how many people who are so against abortion and as God's people and would debate till they're blue in the face somebody who was for abortion, but if you asked them for a verse of Scripture to help, they'd be hard-pressed. Or they might know one verse or two verses, but would they know the entirety of it? We need to have a firm foundation. When we make an argument, when we stand on something and, and we, we try to hold firm to something that uh, is, there is opposition to, we better have a foundation for it. And just because I don't like it is not a good enough foundation. And just because, well, our church teaches this is not a good enough foundation. We need to come back and say, because a holy God in heaven who established the morals of man has said so in His Word. That is the foundation. Let's look in Psalm 94, verse number 20. Psalm 94, verse 20. Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee, which frameth mischief by law? They gather themselves together against the soul of the righteous and condemn the innocent blood. And we're dealing here with the exact thing our country's going through. Let's read again verse 21. They gather themselves together against the soul of the righteous. Do we see that? What do they do when they gather themselves together against the soul of the righteous? It says they condemn the innocent blood. How are they doing this? Well, let's take a look at verse 20. Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee, which frameth mischief by a... How do they accomplish it? How do they condemn? How do they uh, 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 gather themselves together against the soul of the righteous? They find the seed of iniquity and they create a law. Isn't it interesting that in Daniel, <coughs> the men that hated him, 
said if we're going to find something against him, it's going to have to be in relation to his worship of his God. Because we can't find anything else. These folks hate the righteousness of God so much. And Satan hates the righteousness of God so much that they know the only way to make us put us in a situation is to get together and make a law that is contrary to our moral absolute of Scripture. It has to be a law that is contrary to our worship of our God. They've done so, haven't they? They've made a law. They've gathered themselves together against the soul of the righteous, and they condemn the innocent blood. I'm thankful in verse 22, the Bible says, But the Lord is my defense. Doesn't matter what they do. God is my defense. And my God is the rock of my refuge. And He shall bring upon them their own iniquity. Shall cut them off in their own wickedness. Yea, the Lord our God shall cut them off. By the way, He doesn't tell men to go out here and cut them off. He says, I'll cut them off. He'll take care of them. We just need to stand strong and teach these things again. We need to bring them up in our society and teach them a value. <coughs> Look with me lastly in Deuteronomy 27 and we'll be dismissed. Deuteronomy chapter number 27. <clears throat> Let's look in verse number 25. Deuteronomy chapter 27 and verse 25. Cursed be he that taketh reward to slay an innocent person. It's a great, great statement. Cursed be he that taketh reward to slay an innocent person. And I like the rest of the verse. And all the people shall say, Amen. Let's stand together, shall we? Father, we pray that You would help guide and direct our hearts. Lord, we are fighting and warring and dealing with things that, to be honest, we have for far too long remained silent on. We've allowed them to take place without raising concern. And while from time to time we would stir a little bit, Lord, the truth is we have not at all taken the firm stand that You do in Scripture on this. I pray that You'd help us as we strive to be salt and light in this world, to take the truth of Your Word and to teach it to a generation that has so neglected Your Word. Young people who sit hours upon hours every day in the secular philosophy of indoctrination called education in our country that need to hear Your truth, that need to know Your Word, may we boldly proclaim it. May we do all that we can to find opportunity to share it. May we study it well so that we can rightly divide it and know it and teach it. May it be written upon the tables of our hearts. Father, I pray that daily this would be before us. We would be diligent to work and labor in these areas. Dismiss us now with your blessings, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.